It's week two of our Lent series. And I don't know about you, but I found our series quite challenging this year. I know we've only done two weeks of it, but it's challenged me even. And even in our Thursday night uh, Lent series we had, there were some challenging things raised, and they've remained with me a little bit, and I've been mulling over them all week. But uh, this week gets a little bit more challenging, so please stick with me because it's nice to know that I don't do any alone in this challenge, so please come along for the ride. So we usually see this scene in a movie or a television series. The head of the family has died. The family is sitting nervously in the lawyer's office as he prepares to read the will. Tension and anxiety fill the air. Some are leery, some are hopeful. Then the will is read, and each is bequeathed something. Some are disappointed, some angry, some are just plain thrilled. But each person now knows just what the deceased thought of them, how much he or she valued them. But now life must go on. John 14 portrays a similar scene. A family is gathered for the reading of the will, but there's no lawyer. In fact, the head of the family is still alive, and no one knew he would be sharing his last will and testament. But that's just what Jesus does as he wraps up their time in the upper room. And what he bequeaths is a basis for relief, even if it would take a while for the disciples to realize it. So let's take a look at John 14, verses 25 to 31. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, now let us leave. The next picture is a picture of that last moment. It's a familiar one for all of us, isn't it? Jesus giving his last will and testament. But what was the first item that he gave, that he bequeathed them? It was the power for learning and growing. He promised to send them a mentor who would do two primary things. First, he'd teach them. In Psalm 32 verse 8, God told David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Jesus announces the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things. Jesus has been the lesson book, and the Holy Spirit will now be the teacher to explain the text and make it clear. He will unfold the meaning of Jesus' words and life on a need-to-know basis. Whatever the disciples needed to know, 
better to understand and witness for Jesus, the Holy Spirit would teach them. At the moment, they could not know or understand Jesus' Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem, nor could they understand his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, nor could they understand Pentecost. But at those events, and as they occurred, their teacher, the Holy Spirit, would teach, would explain, and would make them clear. To put it another way, the Holy Spirit would change the way the disciples, including us, would perceive and process their reality. He will give us the mind of Christ so we can live out the will of God our Father in all things and all situations. He will give us discernment. Paul wrote about it in one of his letters to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 to 16. Know the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have not crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated for others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. So in addition to teaching them the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit would remind them. So how many of you can remember what I said last week? It's okay to be honest. I even forgot what I said last week. What about what I said three weeks ago? Because I didn't preach the week before that. I preached the week before that. Can you remember? No. no. Thank you, Ruth, for being honest. <laughs> but how quickly we can forget. Imagine those poor disciples. They'd been listening to Jesus for three years. And now he was dumping all this information on them in such a way that their minds were in a fog. How in the world could they ever remember the many things Jesus taught them? The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. The Bible is proof that Jesus was right. We need to remember that the Gospels were not the first books of the New Testament to be written. The disciples hadn't written down Jesus' words as he spoke to them. They didn't take minutes every time he called them together. It was at least 10 years after Jesus' life and death that the first gospel was written. John didn't write his until about 40 or 50 years later. So how could they remember so much? The Holy Spirit brought them to remembrance. 
and He stirs our memories as well. The Holy Spirit is the search engine that takes the present moment of our lives and searches for the truth of God that is buried deep within us. Why else is it that a person who's experiencing dementia or Alzheimer's can still remember and resonate with scripture verses and hymns? The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance. And as the late Charles Spurgeon puts it, he puts all those old treasures into the ark of our soul. And when the time comes, he opens it and brings out those precious things in right good order and shows them to us again and again. But realize this, the Spirit can only bring back that which is already stored up within us. Only when we consistently deposit the Word of God, the life of Jesus, into our minds does the Spirit have something to pull from. The second item Jesus bequeathed was a capacity for peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Peace is a word with many shades of meaning and understanding. So we need to notice precisely what Jesus said. Jesus gives his peace. It's the untroubled calm that Jesus was displaying because of his relationship with his Father, a relationship marked with security and love. Consider what Jesus did in the next 24 hours after speaking these words. While dying on a cross, he committed a soul to his Father. He left his mother under the care of John, and he forgave the very people who opposed and condemned him. That's peace. That's fulfillment of the Hebrew word shalom, which meant peace with God, with the world, with others, and with self. And that's Jesus, even on a cross. And I like the derivation of our English word peace. It comes from a Latin word which meant to fasten, fastening to achieve a stable condition. Jesus is not saying peace is available. He's giving it out. He can do so because of his relationship with those who believe. We are fastened to him. In John 6 verse 37 and in John 10 verse 28, these words are written. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Because our peace is fastened to Jesus, it is independent of our circumstances. It means we can, as Jesus did, give our lives into the hands and heart of our gracious Father. It means we can live with the certain knowledge that Romans 8.28 gives us. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Jesus' peace is a unique peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. How many of you have seen an alcohol advert on TV and social media or in print? Two people on a white sandy beach sipping an alcoholic beverage Palm trees with the sound of lapping waves providing serene calm. The world sees peace as an absence of conflict. Jesus, by contrast, brings peace right in the very middle of conflict. The world depends on personal ability. The Christian depends on spiritual adequacy in Jesus. The world sees peace as something to work for. The Christian receives by faith the gift of peace. The world walks by sight and depends upon externals. 
but Christians walk by faith and depend upon the eternal. The world's peace is built upon treaties and agreements, but Christians' peace is built on the adequacy and strength of Jesus. The world's peace is temporary. Jesus' peace is permanent. The Apostle Paul inherited Jesus' peace. In spite of beatings, trials, intense opposition, he was at peace. And that's why we should heed his advice, written while a prisoner awaiting possible death. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, this is the New Living Translation. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Pray, give thanks, be at peace. Pray, give thanks, and God's peace will guard your heart. But listen to how the message translation puts it. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And as Peter wrote to the early church, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him, for you are his personal concern. Fasten yourself to Jesus. And the third item Jesus passed on was proof for belief. In verse 29, he said, I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus' actions matched his words. Jesus knew that the disciples would not understand and therefore not fully believe until he completed his mission on earth. So after sharing so much with them in the upper room, he headed out to Gethsemane, where he prayed for strength to do his Father's will, and then to Calvary, where he died upon a cross to fulfill the Father's will. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Then he appeared to the disciples, and the lights went on. They now understood. They now fully believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world. They now realized that he was indeed, as Palm Sunday had predicted, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Then Jesus ascended to go back to the Father just as he said he would. And now they understood. Then came the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descended upon them and filled them. Now they understood. With this counselor, this teacher, this mentor within them, Peter stood up, preached a sermon proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And thousands of people were baptized as they came to believe in Jesus. Now they understood. Jesus had said they would do even greater things than he did. Now they understood. Because belief leads to peace, and because proof is what leads to belief, John wrote his gospel. And he concludes it by stating in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And as he left the upper room with his disciples, he said these words, The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. The prince of this world. Jesus came seeking sinners. 
The devil seeks saints. He looks for Christians with their guard down. He could not keep Christians from becoming Christians. Now he wants to make them ineffective Christians. He will do everything in his diabolical power to render them ineffective. He wants an impotent Christian and an impotent church. He will slander, hinder, and handicap you. He will do everything in his power to keep you from sharing Christ with a non-Christian. He lost you, but now he seeks to make sure that no one around you will come to Christ. He's not interesting in, interested in nibbling on you. He seeks to gulp us down. He looks for those who play into his clutches. He lurks in the spiritual bushes waiting for the Christian to come along. But God's gracious remedy is simple and effective. Resist him. We are to oppose him. We are to stand against him. And how are we to accomplish this? Are we to put our own strength against him? Never. We effectively stand against him by being steadfast in the faith. We simply continue to trust in the great truths of God's word, which declare Christ as victor over our foe. As 1 John 3 verse 8 and Colossians 2.15 remind us, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, trium triumphing, triumphing over them in it, the cross. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Indeed, the prince of this world, Satan, won the battle at Calvary, but Jesus won the war. The only true security you can have, the source of permanent peace you can find, is Jesus. Jesus himself put the choice to the disciples and to us. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The choice is yours. Trouble or anxiety, peace or calm, fear or faith. You have the basis for relief in the inherited gifts of Jesus. Madeline, Madeline Rockwell wrote of her grandparents. My grandmother was a ball of fire, while grandpa was slow and deliberate. One night they were awakened by a commotion in the chicken house. Grandma sprang out of bed, ran to the chicken house, and found the cause of the racket, a large black snake. Having nothing to dispatch it with, she clamped her bare foot down on its head. There she stood until Grandpa finally arrived a good 15 minutes later. He was fully dressed with his pocket watch in place. Well, he said cheerfully to my disheveled and enraged Grandma, if I'd known you had him, I wouldn't have hurried so. Throughout the Bible, the Christian struggle is seen as a battle against the power of Satan. Victory over Satan begins when we understand that victory can only be had in Jesus Christ. When God raises up Christ in us, he clothes, clothes us with Christ's righteousness. When he looks at us through the righteousness of Christ, he doesn't see us as bad people because we have failed. He sees us as victors because we have accepted Christ's victory over Satan for ourselves. Jesus has defeated Satan. Satan has no hold on him, so we have no need to hurry. Fasten yourselves to Jesus. Set your troubled heart at rest. And as he reminds us, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you.